0: Uh, Sorry to let you down, Um, Ian made some serious claims about bullying, I think you can take that up with the rector, I'm sure he'd be happy to address your concerns. Um, it is a tremendous uh, privilege uh, to be with you this morning. Uh, the plan initially until about midday Friday that uh, Mike Dicker, the principal of YouthWorks Bible College, was going to be coming uh, to take us through a part of uh, Mark's gospel. Unfortunately, uh, he's in hospital with his, his daughter who's had to have surgery. Uh, she's okay, but Mike will be uh, with his family this week. So do, do pray for me and Tom as we'll be uh, taking up some talks on the book of Revelation this week at our youth camp. Uh, but this talk that we're about to hear, I uh, was initially given this week uh, at a Mayes Christian School Chapel as a sort of evangelistic youth talk. Uh, so my apologies if the illustrations are a bit youth level. Uh, you might not appreciate that, but I hope you'll appreciate the length um, because it's a youth. Anyway, so. <laughs> How about I pray for us as we come before God through His Word? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God who speaks. That you speak to us in your word and in your son. Please, Father, help us to see and behold Jesus in all of his beauty this morning. Amen. Well, if you had all of the power of God at your disposal, if your wildest dreams, if your deepest desire could come true in an instant, what is it that you would do? If you were God, what is it that you would do? I'll give you a minute. I want you to talk to your neighbour. If you had all of the power of God, what would you do? Go for it. You've got a minute. All right, well, well, that was a small 30 seconds, but I'll gather us in anyway. Um, I look forward to hearing and chatting about that afterwards. Uh, this question was posed to a university student on the campus at Melbourne. Uh, In the middle of the campus where students are walking by, on a large white board was written these words, if I were God, I'd... And so the students, as they walked past, they they had the opportunity to write on the board what they would do if they had all of the power of God. And so I'm going to share with you uh, four of the top answers that were on this board. Uh, Firstly, some genius wrote that if he had all of the power of God, he would kill all magpies. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I was swooped as a kid. It was horrible. When I was even in year seven and eight, if I I was going to the shops and I saw a magpie, I'd turn back and go the other way. And this genius has worked out. If he had all the power of God, magpies are gone. You beauty. Uh, There was another person, maybe not as smart, uh, what they said, if they had all of the power of God, here's what they would do. They would get an A on their math test this week. <laughs> really? You have all of the power of God and you want an A on your mass test this week? Not, not just to pass the course, to get the job that you're doing the degree for anyway. No, no, he's, he's content. He just wants an A on his math test this week. Uh, there was someone else and they said, if they had all of the power of God, here's what they would do. They would get a new iPhone and... A classy girlfriend. <laughs> He's clearly got his priorities sorted. He's, get the new iPhone first and then find a girlfriend, not any sort of girlfriend, but a very classy girlfriend. But the most popular answer on this board in the university campus in Melbourne was this: that if these students had all of the power of God, here's what they would do: they would make it rain hot dogs. That's, that's what I don't know what was going on the campus at the time. Maybe they'd had some free lunches. Maybe they're poor uni students. They can't bother packing lunch. So they just bring some bread and are waiting for hot dogs. I don't, I don't know what was going on. But, but it's an interesting question to ponder, isn't it? If I were God, what would you do? And so why are we thinking about this question? You see, Mark 15, that was so beautifully read for us, shows us what Jesus does. It is such a massive moment in Mark's gospel. Everything has been building to this. I can't overstate the importance of what is happening in Mark 15. And more than even just Mark's gospel, it's what all of human history has been building towards. It is God's greatest intervention into our world. Everything was leading to this point. Has anyone seen an Avengers movie or the Marvel movies? Has anyone seen a Marvel movie? Shove their hands. Okay, this is less than I thought. Um, Marvel movie the Marvel Cinematic Universe Uh, the stage one which is about uh, 22 movies right and in those 22 movies the first couple movies we meet all the different individual superheroes we meet Iron Man and there's Iron Man 2 and Thor and then they come together for the Avengers and there's Avengers 2 and there's Guardians of the Galaxy And you're meeting all these sort of different villains as we have these movies go by, right? There's 47 hours and 51 minutes of screen time. Billions and billions of dollars, countless fan theories. And it was all leading to the end movie in the stage one, the end game. And that's when all of the superheroes who we'd met in the different individual movies were together fighting against the big bad Thanos, who was kind of behind all of the evil And in, in what they were fighting. It was all leading to this moment, to the end game. Friends, Mark has been leading to this in his gospel account. Because if there is one thing that Mark has wanted to make clear in his account of the life of Jesus, I think it's this. It is that Jesus had All of the power of God. Mark has shown us countless times that Jesus had the power to cast out demons. That Jesus had the power to heal the sick. That Jesus had the power to raise the dead. That Jesus had the power to speak to creation. That the wind and the waves, they listened to him That Jesus had the power to let the blind see and the mute speak. Mark has left it without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus had all of the power of God at his disposal. And the question is with all of this power, what did he do? He did this Jesus would be crucified for us as king. Painfully, shamefully, willingly, he would suffer under the righteous wrath of God to bring sinners home. I'm going to say that again. With all of the power of God at his disposal, this is what Jesus does. He is crucified for us as king. Painfully, shamefully, and willingly, He suffers under the righteous wrath of God to bring sinners home. And it's my prayer for us today that as we look at Mark 15, that we would be freshly amazed at God's loving kindness shown to us in Jesus. So if you have uh, your Bibles, please keep them open to Mark 15. We're going to be going through it. I'm going to read from verses 25 to 32. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? Come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. It's interesting to notice at this point in Mark's gospel, even the enemies of Jesus, the ones who have nailed him to the tree, the ones who are crucifying him, the Romans and the Jews, they know what power he claimed to have. In verse 26, the title of the charge that was read against Jesus, the king of the Jews. Did you notice what the chief priest said to him? as they mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he cannot save himself. Even the chief priests know he saved others. They've probably seen some of his miracles as he enabled people to see, and the, blind, the, the blind to see and the mute to speak, the lame to walk. They know that he saved others. They know who he claimed to be. They say, let this Messiah the king of israel come down now from the cross that we may see and believe see they knew what power he claimed to have they just couldn't fathom they thought it was an impossibility that if jesus truly had this power that he would willingly stay on the cross what a setting what a picture what a dark picture what a sad picture And Mark shows us this in verse 33. He says at noon, that is at midday, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Can you imagine that? While we're enjoying our lunch together after church, just darkness over the whole land. That's the sort of picture that Mark wants us to see is going on here. And as we heard so wonderfully read for us in Amos, it is is a sad day. It's a dark day, the day of the Lord. It is God's judgment here. That's what's happening at the cross. And it's pretty interesting to note in the first 14 chapters of Mark, if you're familiar with Mark's gospel, you'll know that the first 14 chapters, we see Jesus going from city to city to village to village, and he is preaching the good news of the kingdom. He's interacting with his disciples. He's interacting with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's interacting with those who he heals. He is talking. He is speaking. And we come to Mark chapter 15 and he's remarkably silent. He only has two lines. In verse 2, when Pontius Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? He says, you have said so. And the only other thing that we see is what we're about to read in verse 34. And Mark really wants us to hear what Jesus is saying here. It is the heart of what is going on. Hear what Jesus says on the cross. Verse 34. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here on the cross, Jesus quotes Psalm 22 about the Father forsaking his servant. And it shows us the heart of what is actually happening as Jesus is on the cross. Because if you know anything about Roman crucifixion, you'll know that at this point, Jesus has had nails hammered through his hands. He's had nails hammered through his feet He's had a crown of thorns cast upon his head. And Jesus on the cross, he does not cry, my hands, my hands, my feet, my feet, my head, my head. Because what is causing Jesus pain on the cross? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because what is going on at the cross is God's righteous and holy judgment for sin. And Mark wants us to see, because I think if there is one thing that we can know about God the Father in the Gospels and the account of the life of Jesus, it is this, that the Father loves his Son. In Mark chapter 1, as Jesus is baptized, we hear the Father's voice from heaven say, This is my beloved Son in whom I delight, in whom I am well pleased. Uh, We see uh, in Mark chapter 9 as Jesus is transfigured in his glory. uh, Again, the Father's voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son, whom I love. Listen to him. Countless times throughout Mark's gospel, Jesus has left the crowds to go and spend time in prayer with his Father. It is the foundation of the world that we live in—the loving relationship between the Father and the Son—and it shows us it it that it shows us what is happening at the cross. We go from that to this. Jesus cries, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" And on this moment, what Isaiah prophesied seven hundred years before this is taking place. I think the verse in the Bible that just blows my mind the most Isaiah 53 verse 10 it says it pleased Yahweh it it pleased the father to crush his son and that is the pain of the cross the wrath of God poured on Jesus for all sin past present and future because Jesus is the only one who could bear it all he is the only one who lived a righteous life. In every second that he was on earth, he lived to the glory of his father. In every breath that he breathed, he breathed it for his father. And we have lived in his world our way. I had the wonderful privilege yesterday of uh, being at an ACT mission-minded conference uh, meeting with other brothers and sisters throughout Canberra uh, to think about how we need to raise up more gospel workers. And as I came to this conference early in the morning, uh, it was very kind, the welcome that I received. Uh, many people came and said, oh, Josh, how are you going? It's lovely to see you. What's, what's going on? Imagine if someone comes to me and I walk in the room and they say, Josh, how are you going? It's great to see you. Imagine if I just walked by. Imagine if I just ignored them. Friends, this That's what humanity has done to our God. We walk by him. We don't live his way. We ignore him. And here on the cross, Jesus, the one who loved his father with every breath that he breathed, bears it all. God's holy, righteous wrath, the punishment for sin cast on Jesus. And of course, the wages of sin is death. And that's what we see. Look at verse 37 with me. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, many of us here will know, well, the curtain of the temple, what's, what's the significance of this? What's going on? The curtain of the temple is referring back uh, right to Exodus. After the book of Genesis, where God was initially in a loving relationship with his people, but we've chosen to ignore him and walk past his rules and his commands, mankind was separated from God. Uh, But God, in his grace, still loved his people. He called a people in Israel and Abraham, and they were meeting together. And and through his servant Moses, God wanted to palpably dwell with his people. And so Moses, with very specific instructions, constructed the tabernacle, a place where God would dwell amongst his people. And they had all these sorts of different layers of, of getting into the tabernacle and it was only the priests from the tribe of Levi who could enter the tabernacle and only the high priests once a year who could enter the most holy of holies where the God God's presence was. And every time this high priest entered into the holy of holies, what they would do is they would tie a rope around his, his ankle and put a bell on it that in case he died in the presence of God, in light of his sin and the holiness of God, that if he died, they could drag him out. And here, as Jesus breathes his last, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And what this shows us is that Jesus' death is sufficient. That now, for the first time in all of human history, there is a way for God to dwell with his people again. Not through any good works we have done, not through any supernatural experience of a praise and worship night, but through the death of Jesus, we have access to God. Because Jesus, with all of his power, with all of his might, would choose to be crucified for us as king. Heaven is open. You and I can know the living God. There is no longer any barrier. He will dwell with you. Isn't this good news? Look at verse 39. Mark wants to point out the good news. He said, in verse 39, it says, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man Was the Son of God. And here Mark is unmistakably drawing back to the very first verse of his account of the life of Jesus, in which he says, This is the beginning of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. And here it is. The centurion looks at what has happened and he says, Surely. This man was the son of God. This is the good news that Mark was talking about, that through the death of Jesus, through him being crucified for us as king, we can be restored to our creator. I remember a couple of years ago as Ian was taking us through the book of Romans, he so helpfully pointed out that the word gospel doesn't simply just mean good news. Like, I mean, it's, it's good news that there's lunch afterwards. I'm very much looking forward to that. But it's not life-changing good news, you see. And the, the sense of the word gospel in Mark 1.1 1, 1, and what we see here in Mark 15.39 is it is life-changing good news. As though you, the first 30 years of your life you had grown up in a war-torn country. And every time you exited your house, you were crawling around and worried that bullets might be flying around for 30 years. And then you hear on the radio one day, the war is over, the war is over. That's good news that radically changes life. And that's the sense of what is going on here in Mark 15. So let's ponder together, so what? What does this mean for us in the way that we live and talk and walk and breathe. Uh, Firstly, I want to encourage us, take the access. Take the access. Uh, Hands up, how many people have heard of Taylor Swift? Anyone here heard of Taylor Swift? Global phenomena. Uh, She's coming to Australia soon. Her concerts are selling out. People were lining up. I think there's about seven concerts and people who were waiting still didn't get tickets. She's a global phenomena, right? Imagine just for a second, I know this will be hard for some of you, Uh, Imagine you were Taylor Swift's biggest fan, that you were just in awe of Taylor Swift. Imagine I had here in my pocket Taylor Swift's personal phone number and I was going to give it to you. And she was, through contact, going to let you come and have access to her and do all the conferences, all the concerts with her and walk with her and understand with her and ask her questions. Imagine that. Imagine if you had this access to Taylor Swift. If you were truly a Taylor Swift fan, there's no way you would grab that and throw it in the bin, right? What would you do? You would take advantage of the access that you have. Friends, through the death of Jesus, because he was crucified for us as king, we have access to God. We don't need a perfect righteousness. We have his. God no longer sees us in our sin. He doesn't see us ignoring him. He sees his son. So all we need to do to access the presence of God is come in repentant helplessness and we can walk with Jesus. The curtain has been torn in two. There is no longer any barrier. You and I can know the living God. So friends, let us come to the Father through Jesus. As we wake up, may we pray. As you come to church, may we pray. As you spend time with your families, may we pray. Let us live life knowing and delighting in the fellowship that we have with God. Would we, as the scriptures say, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. Don't neglect the access that we've been given. Secondly, can I encourage us to freshly marvel at the cross? I know I'm only young, uh, but I've already worked out and I can so easily, I can see how easy it is for me to lose my wonder, to get used to a good thing. Friends, could we freshly marvel at what God has done for us in Jesus? I'm really looking forward to our base camp this week and when we're going to be looking at the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter five, as John gets a bit of a glimpse to what is going on in heaven, All of heaven marvels at what we've seen today. Let me read to you from Revelation 5, verses 11 to 13. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Friends, all of heaven rejoices and is in awe of the lamb who was slain. Today, may we freshly marvel at the cross. I love Chris Tomlin's song, I Stand in the Presence of Jesus. Let me read to you some of these lyrics and may we do this this day. I stand in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean how marvellous how wonderful my song will ever be how marvellous how wonderful is my Savior's love for me he took my sins and my sorrows he made them his very own he bore the burden to Calvary he suffered and died for me how marvellous. How wonderful our song will ever be. So friends, can I encourage you to take some time this day to stand in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, pray through this song, pray through Mark 15, and praise him for all he has done. Finally, can I encourage us to be comforted by the cross. Uh, Tegan uh, put on this, the fantastic pastoral care event this week, How to Be a Weak Christian, thinking through uh, coming face-to-face with our experience of physical, emotional, and mental weakness. And, and the wonderful turnout showed the feeling that we all experience struggle this side of heaven. I hope you can see here, I hope you can see in the words of Mark 15, the love that God has for you. It is the simplest of gospel messages, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And the love of God revealed to us in his cross becomes a comfort. It becomes an anchor for us in our times of need, in our times of storm. Here's the way that Tim Keller so helpfully puts it. He says, If the sight of Jesus bowing his head into that ultimate storm, that is referring to Jesus bearing the weight of sin forever. If the sight of Jesus bowing his head into the ultimate storm is burned into the core of your being, you will never say, God, don't you care? And if you know that he did not abandon you in the ultimate storm, What makes you think that he would abandon you in the much smaller storms that we're experiencing right now? And someday, of course, he will return and still all storms for eternity. Oh, friends, I pray that we'd be so deeply comforted by the cross, by what the cross shows of God's love for you, that you would know that you are so deeply loved that you are not abandoned, That he sees, that he cares, that he knows that our Lord Jesus has faced the ultimate storm on your behalf. That Jesus is indeed the God with scars. That he was crucified for us as king. So let us, as Keller encouraged, burn the sight of Jesus bowing his head into the core of our being that we may be comforted in our deepest of agony. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for all that you have done in and through your Son. We thank you that he was crucified for us as King. Please, O Lord, let us freshly marvel. Let us stand in awe in the presence of Jesus, we pray. Amen.